the Mike Lupica Podcast. We are back now with the great Mike Lupica. He's one of the country's Mike most Lupica prominent Mike Lupica has covered just about every sport. Candid interviews with legends he calls friends. I was talking to Jordan about Woods after the basketball game mm-hmm. the other night. Everybody wants everybody in sports to be the next this guy, the next this guy. And Michael said, no, he's the first Tiger. In your face questions. How much of a dope is he? Compelling. A billion dollar industry, the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country, often comes down to a flip of the coin. This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. Hello and thanks for joining us on the Mike Lupica Podcast. Today we'll be joined by a great friend. He's the host of the morning show, Get Up on espn he's a novelist he's the really the world's foremost authority on just about everything according to his twitter page anyway he's the amazingly talented mike greenberg but before we get started with greeny i want to tell you about peter manning clothing are you tired of wearing clothes that don't fit right never finding your size or spending too much time and money at the tailor we have to check out my friends at Peter Manning. They've developed a fresh line of apparel specifically designed for not so tall guys. You can check them out at www.petermanningnyc.com or visit their store in New York City as I have at 933 Broadway. You'll feel good and look great wearing proper fitting clothes. It's changed thousands of lives and it'll change yours too. No more baggy pants, no more pirate arms, and no more tailor tacks. Again, you can visit them online at www.petermanningnyc.com or in Manhattan at 933 Broadway. I can't tell you how much Peter Manning clothing I have, my sons have. Also, if my listeners use code Lupica, you'll get 20% off your order. Again, that's code Lupica for 20% off your order. Check them out today and discover a great fit. My guest today on the Mike Lubica podcast is somebody we just don't get on nearly often enough. And every time we do this podcast, we feel as if we could go two hours instead of uh, just one. He is the host of Get Up on ESPN um, each weekday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern time. And anybody who uh, ever listened to me on the radio, or read my column, knows that he is he is my favorite on-air personality at ESPN. He is Michael Greenberg. How you doing, man? Have you recovered yet from the loss to Ohio State? Uh, you know what? I actually thought we acquitted ourselves extremely well in that game. And, and while I know that there were not supposed to be moral victories, um, the reality is that sometimes there are. And I thought for us, that was one. There we are, the you know the little engine that could, from a football perspective, in there against the ultimate Goliath in Ohio State. And at halftime, we looked like we were going to get our, our just the, the doors blown off. And the fact that we came out, if you saw the game, we scored two touchdowns in the third quarter. We cut it to three. We cut it again to seven in the fourth quarter. Um, And in the end, we just couldn't contain their quarterback, who, by the way, I think should be the next quarterback of the New York football Giants. But that's neither here nor there. And Dwayne Haskins, he just annihilated us. Um, But in the end, I thought we we acquitted ourselves well. We we had a really nice season. And I was thrilled for that. And um, so I have indeed recovered from that. And I'm doing... Extremely, really well. It's a weird time. You know, I, I, will, I will reminisce briefly with you here. When you and I first started to sort of, you know, speak semi-regularly, uh, this has got to be, I don't know, 15 years ago, uh, maybe a little less. It, it was right around the time that you were taking your first child off to college. I, I, I have a recollection of that because right. I remember you and Nolik were sort of both going through that at similar times. Um, and my daughter, Nikki, my, my, the older of my two kids, is a senior in high school now. And so I find myself thinking a lot about that and about sort of the passage of time and whatnot. So I have a lot of that on my mind, but outside of that, I'm doing extremely well. 
You know, it's funny, Michael. We have Taylor and I have four children. Um, they they all, <laughs> but it wasn't planned this way. But they all ended up going to the same school, my school, Boston College, and. It, all I will tell you is <laughs> it will get easier and uh, your relationship with your children, if it is like the one with ours, will only get better even after they have have, you know, moved away and moved on with college. And I, I say this all the time, Mike. Yeah, when I think back when I was coaching the kids and when they were 8 and 9 and 10 and all those Saturday afternoons and Saturday mornings, yeah, would I like – I'd give a bazillion dollars to just have one more of those Saturday mornings back. I, it's what my books are about, okay? But if you had told me that my – I've got a son who's 31, two in their 20s, and a sophomore daughter in college, that they we were going to produce humans who would be um, – where they are in their lives at this point, then you have to sign up for that. Absolutely. And I do feel that way. Um, and, and, and I know it, and I have a lot of friends, including you, who have been very, you know, who I've seen go through this, have modeled this for me. So I have total confidence in that, but it, it, is, it is sort of a wistful time. I, I think that, you know, you and I have a couple of things in common, and one of them is we both got our starts in this industry at very young ages. Yeah, We're both doing yeah. Where we were sort of thought of as the wonder kid at one point in our respective industries. You were a columnist in New York City in your mid twenties, um, right? And and I was I was covering Michael. I was on the road, staying in Four Seasons and Ritz Carlton's because I was covering the Chicago Bulls, starring Michael Jordan in the early nineties when I was twenty four years old. Um, and so there's a part of you that always thinks of yourself that way, I think. And so now, every now and again, I look around the landscape and I realize in almost every conversation I have professionally, I'm the oldest person in the room. And that, that is a very strange feeling to have. So, um, you know, that's, uh, there's a little bit of that going on, too. But I, I don't know why I sidetracked our entire no, no. conversation with this psychiatry session. No, no. And, and Mike, wait. Just wait. Wait. <laughs> Maybe you're already in some. Wait till you st they start putting you into halls of fames or, you know, yeah. giving you these lifetime achievement awards like the Damon Young Runny Award. All right, let's start. We have much to get to today in the world of sports. Yeah. And and by the way, congratulations on getting so <laughs> such a nice, healthy dialogue going between Dana White and Oscar De La Hoya. Congratulations, Michael. Well, I mean, literally, to get those two guys into a healthy dialogue, all you have to do is say, hello. Um, and then get out of the way. Look, I, I, I know that there's an element of show for this, from, from both of them in this. Um, and for those who don't know what you're referring to, Delahoy was on my show the other day, and he, the, 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 the sole reason he was there was to respond to a little bit of criticism that had been thrown at him by Dana. And so, of course, I opened the door, and Oscar just ran through it and, you know, uh, rambled endlessly about how Dana White doesn't pay his fighters enough, and that's why they're all coming to him. And so, of course, immediately the next move that we make, because this is what we do, is we call up Dana and say, "We would look. You need to come in and respond." And he comes in and he responds, and he calls Oscar De La Hoya an idiot, and all sorts of things. And it gets a lot of attention, and it's all well and good. There's not a lot of journalism involved in it, but I think people generally tend to enjoy watching it, so it's fine with me. Michael, uh, you you just referenced Dwayne Haskins and the Giants. L let's. I, we're going to go back to a conversation that we have had before, and. We have both seen um, over this pro football season what a transformational talent Saquon Barkley is, okay? And yeah. obviously Sam Darnold has not had a season 
a rookie season comparable to that. But Michael, I will stay with a position that I have had since the NFL draft. If Sam Darnold turns into the player that the Jets still believe he is going to be, then they were right and the Giants are wrong. Yeah, I think that's clear, and, and it is it is exclusively, it has absolutely nothing to do with Saquon Barkley. Nope, with the nope it's about the position of quarterback yeah. in the National Football League. It's disproportionately valuable. Um, Saquon Barkley... If you wanted to make an argument that he is the best player in the league, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get a fight from me. Um, but being the best running back in the league, be, being the most talented player overall in the league, um, it does not make you more valuable than even a, a very good NFL starting quarterback. And unfortunately, I don't think Eli Manning is that anymore. And I think the Giants might be on the verge of talking themselves into yep. Yep. You know, funny. The Giants and their fans are hilarious. And I've seen you write this. And I completely agree with that. I think, I, I think I've seen you tweet it. And that is that every time the Giants win a game against a bad team, they decide they're back. Like the Giants be, I work with a bunch of Giants fans. And they beat the 49ers. In a bu- every guy that I know that I work with who was a fan of the Giants starts putting together playoff scenarios. And, and you know, you just beat the worst team in the sport. So the, 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 only, half, the only half of football they've played that really mattered in the last six weeks, they gave away. They had the lead, a big lead at halftime against the Eagles, and they could have legitimately played themselves back into the conversation, and they just gave the game away. And, oh, by the way, if I remember correctly, Saquon Barkley had six touches in the second half of that game, which only goes to reinforce the point that if they had a superstar quarterback, that game doesn't get away from them and they wind up winning. But it's really not about Barkley now. It is about what they're going to do to address the quarterback position in the future. And it seems to me they have, well, I guess they have three options. One of them is keep Eli another year. To me, I think that's a bad option. I, I, that would, I would put that third if, if it were me making the decision. I love Eli. He has been fabulous. He deserves to be treated with more respect than he was by the way they handled it last year with Ben McAdoo. But the idea that they need to give him another season as a thank you strikes me as ridiculous. So um, I, would not, I, I, would, I would discount the first one. The second one would be to draft a quarterback and give that guy the ball and say, okay, now we're turning this over to you. And for me, that would be Dwayne Haskins. I would be iffy on that one because I think they have a team that is built to win now, which is a tough thing to say about a team that's 4-9 or or whatever it is they are, but that is the reality. When you have Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham, you have a team that's built to win now, which leads me to the third option, which is to go out and get one of these veteran quarterbacks who will most likely be available to them during the offseason, whether that's Teddy Bridgewater, whom I know a lot of people are excited about, or Joe Flacco, who feels as though he's going to shake loose from Baltimore and might be a better option, or someone else like that. I think if I were sitting where where, uh, the Giants decision-makers are sitting, I would go with the uh, the third option there, which is I I would go out and get myself a veteran, give that guy the ball, and if Dwayne Haskins fell to me in the draft, I would take him anyway. And I would plan to stash him on my bench for a year or two, have him be the quarterback of my future, but take one shot at winning now, as they did this year, but to do it with someone who I think has a better chance of pulling it off, and that might just be Teddy Bridgewater next season. You know what, Mike? I think they should have traded for Teddy Bridgewater this season. And if they had yeah. gone to him early, if they and not the Saints had gotten him, it might have been a completely different season. Because here's the thing about Barkley. I want to get back to Barkley. And I listen, I grew up in upstate New York. I love the Giants my whole life. Okay. 
How mm-hmm. many running backs have run their team to the Super Bowl? Emmett had all that other help, okay? Terrell Davis had one surpassing game in the Super Bowl, and he dragged John Elway across the finish line. But how many times did Barry Sanders run the Lions to the Super Bowl? I'm just saying... As great as he is, and as much as he opens up your offense, you look back on the last, whenever it was the quarterbacks became supreme in the National Football League, not that they always weren't an extremely important position, you don't run your way to the Lombardi Trophy. No, even the greats, even if you go back before that, even if you go back to the era of football in which I grew up and, and fell in love with the sport, if you look at the great backs of that time, O.J. Simpson, his team's never won anything. Um, the, the, the Earl Campbell, his team's never won anything. Franco Harris was a great player, but his teams were basically built on those defenses, and, and they had Terry Bradshaw and just a host of other Hall of Fame And players. Lynn Swan Walter and John Payton. Stallworth. <laughs> right. I mean, half the team is in the Hall of Fame. Um, Walter Payton didn't win a Super Bowl until they put the best defense maybe in the history of the sport on the other side of the ball from him. So I think it's never been the case. And you look at a lot of other running backs who've come and gone and have had great little bursts of time. Eric Dickerson and, and um, uh, you know, uh, Barry Sanders, who you mentioned, who obviously was much more than a short burst of time. And any number of other you know, terrific running backs who've come and gone. None of them have wound up winning a championship. So you're absolutely right. Having a great running back without having a great quarterback, to use the most ridiculously dated cliche in the world, is like, you know, having spectacular tires on a car that doesn't have an engine. It just doesn't actually look good, but it doesn't wind up doing you any good when it matters. When you look at your team, Michael, um, obviously maybe the the most um, energizing thing that happened this season happened in the fourth quarter against the Bills on the road with the way Darnold played. I keep telling my Jets fans who, who go, you know, who just sometimes go soft on this kid, I still love him. I think this experience, however the season ends, if he doesn't get hurt again, has only been positive. And I do honestly believe that this this kid is going to be a 10-year quarterback for them at MetLife Stadium. Me too. I don't know that I totally agree that this year is going to wind up being positive because I think that more quarterbacks in the NFL are ruined than developed properly. And this year... The Jets are a disaster. I mean, the Jets coaching situation is just terrible. And there was a part of me when he got hurt that was just hoping he wouldn't come back. Let's start again with a clean slate next year. He's going to have to learn a new offense as it is. Yes, yeah, seeing him play as well as he did in that fourth quarter and come back for a win uh, was nice. And I do think it will pay dividends with him. But I think that whatever Sam Darnold winds up being, it's going to be under whomever the next coach is and the next offensive coordinator is and the next system is. And I will admit at at, at the risk of you yelling at me, I will admit that there is a part of me that is rooting like crazy for the Jets to lose every single game they play the rest of the season. And the only thing that was good about last weekend with the Jets winning is that Oakland and San Francisco won as well. Because the best thing you can be in the NFL is a team that has a very high draft pick when there's a quarterback sitting there and you don't need one. So I'm sincerely hoping that Dwayne Haskins and the Herbert kid out of Oregon both come out and enter this draft and the Jets wind up with one of the top two picks. And that way you can do what the Titans did when they didn't need a quarterback because they had Mariota and others trade out of that top spot and get a bushel full of stuff because that's what the Jets need. They need a bushel full of stuff. They've got a young quarterback. They have one great young player on defense. 
And for the most part, I think they've got 43 other open positions, uh, for the most part, on this football team to start building. And I think they need as much ammunition to do that as they could possibly get. All right. What would you say, my friend Mike Greenberg, appearing today with me on the Mike Lupica podcast, if I told you I think the Dallas Cowboys are the best team in the NFC? I would agree. I, I think the, they are playing that way right now. You know, I, I came up with this the other day. The NFL, I used to say, everything we always think we know at Thanksgiving proves to be wrong. Like, like, like we think we know everything on Thanksgiving, and then everything winds up changing. <laughs> I, I now have come up with this new one. To me, the teams that start the season that well, they always win the World Series. They're great in October. Like, the Rams and the Chiefs were great in October. They seemed unstoppable in October. When we get to December, the teams that are going to separate themselves are going to be the Patriots, who gave away a game this past week on one of the craziest moments that I've <laughs> so seen in my great. life. It my was... prediction is they will not lose again. And then on the other side, the Bears and the Cowboys, I think, are the two teams to watch in the NFC because um, they do the things that generally tend to win when, when the games get tight in January, and that is they play defense, they stop people, um, and, and I want to see the Rams do that and I want to see the Chiefs do that against good players when it really matters. Mike, I I might be I might be like, you know, one of those um Japanese soldiers in the jungle like 20 years after World War II, okay? Uh, who doesn't know the war is over? I think the Packers are might beat the Bears on Sunday and I haven't quite given up, especially with the Vikings in a free fall that Rodgers may pull off one more Hail Mary of a season. It's of course it's not impossible. Someone brought this up actually in a post show meeting after my show today. And that is that for as, 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 as much as he is being criticized or, or, or by his standards, people are talking about him not having a great year. Uh, you do realize that he has thrown 23 touchdowns and one interception. Um, it, 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 whatever the problems with the Green Bay Packers are, he's not one of them. And they sure did I'll tell you what the problem was. Part. He was working. Yeah. Mike, here's what the problem was. He has been toiling for one of the most overrated coaches of his time in pro football, and that is Mike McCarthy, and this is the guy for all the other things that have happened, okay? All the other things. When people say, well, yeah, he won a Super Bowl, so have a lot of guys, okay? And he is the guy who has had the most hand in, in squandering the prime of one of the greatest players of all time. Yes, I mean, I think that, that it almost could be used – that argument can only almost be used in the opposite direction, which is to say he only won one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers over what was it, 13 years or however many it was that he was his coach. It, it is it is not the compliment you think it is, <laughs> or that people think they are offering him when they say he won a championship. Because uh, I would emphasize the word a when when you have a player that good. Um, having said that, yeah. So so could the Packers do it? Yeah, they could. But I think the Bears, like my friend Lewis Riddick, and, and, and who I, I, I think you uh, would agree, uh, I think he knows as much about the sport as literally anybody. He was on a Chicago radio station yesterday. I happened to see it on Twitter and, and uh, predicted that the Bears are going to win the NFC Championship and wind up in the Super Bowl. He, he hosts my show with me, Get Up, every Friday. So I'm looking forward to having him in my studio and asking him about that exactly because he's buying into the Bears in a big way. He's buying into their quarterback. I don't. Way, which I know a lot of people are not. I don't, Mike. Mike, I don't. And I'm not saying that Trubisky now is what Trubisky is going to be. 
He, Mike, he threw for 110 yards the other night. Everybody's talking about how badly Goff played. Goff played better than Trubisky did. Trubisky threw, you saw the game. He threw the ball yeah. over the head of a wide open receiver and into interceptions twice. If, unless they're going to go all the way to Atlanta winning 13 to six. And I, I agree with you about Lewis Riddick. I, I couldn't possibly disagree with him more. And so in the meantime, yes, so I will get a chance to ask him. I, I completely sidetracked, however, your initial thought, which is the Cowboys. And, and yes, I think the Cowboys have the formula because I think they have the, the legitimately great player that is Ezekiel Elliott. Yep. They are finally utilizing him in ways that we have been waiting all the beginning of this season for. And what we have discovered is that they have a terrific defense. They, they, they drafted this kid Jalen Smith out of Notre Dame on a wing and a prayer, because he suffered this catastrophic, for those who don't know, he was a guy who was going to be one of the top two or three picks in the draft the year that he came out. And he suffered at a bowl game, a comparatively meaningless bowl game against Ohio State, a knee injury so devastating that many people thought he'd never play again. And it took a long time for him to come back. But now he is back and he is showing you just how good he is. They have a legitimately good defense. They have a great running game, which which uh, enables your defense, which is another element of a good defense. And with the addition of Amari Cooper, they now have the ability to make the big play. The big question mark, I think, on them remains the quarterback, and that is if they should find themselves in something of a shootout. And I think their defense is good enough that they won't. Their games aren't in the playoffs. Won't be forty to thirty-seven, but even if it's thirty-three to twenty-seven, and and they're in that game against Breeze. Um, for example, will will Dak be able to sort of go toe-to-toe with Breeze? I don't know that he can't, but I don't know that he can either. And to me, that's the big question. If Prescott plays well, I agree with you. I think the Cowboys are the team to beat in the NFC. And, Mike, here's the thing about Prescott, and I had my doubts about him early in the season, but I now feel that it was unfair to judge him um, without a, a truly fine receiver, and obviously they have one, and Amari Cooper, and and thank you, John Gruden. Um, and th- you know, Let me get sidetracked for one second here, okay? Then we'll get yeah. back to Dak Prescott. Has any executive in recent NFL history made two teams into first-place teams in the same season with trades the way John Gruden has? No, I mean, I, it would be incredible, wouldn't it? If, they, if only they were in opposite conferences, they could meet in the Super Bowl. The best they can do is play each other in the NFC Championship game. But if the NFC Championship game winds up coming down to Amari Cooper versus Khalil Mack, <laughs> it, it will... <laughs> It really will be something. Again, the only thing that would be better is if one of them was in the other conference and they could be playing each other in the Super Bowl. But those are the two most impactful, uh, you know, additions that either team has made, any team has made this season, and they both came from the same place. Now, the one thing that you can't say, if you want to say this for, for John and the situation that he's in, it is that if he did not believe the team he had, that he inherited, was good enough to make a run with, then he traded away his most valuable parts. He got value. I mean, he got a lot for them. He has, he is loaded with draft picks going forward. And he can build a team that is completely in the image that he wants. So whether he gets that wrong or right, I have no idea. And I, I don't know that I would bet my life savings that he will get it right. But at least he's got something to build on. I think that team has its eye on, on the year that it gets to Las Vegas, which is the year after next. And by the time they get there, they will have a team that Gruden wants to try to win with. 
that that isn't fair to the fans in Oakland. I don't know that it was a particularly good idea because I thought they were a pretty talented team, but it certainly does feel like that's what he decided to do. We're talking to my pal Mike Greenberg, and again, we're, we're circling back to Dak Prescott. And let me just say one more thing about Gruden. And I said it at the time they hired him, Michael. What they attempted to do with a guy who had been essentially out of the game, I, I, I don't count broadcasting, okay? For It's only worked really one time that I can remember in pro football history, and it, it kind of worked twice with Dick Vermeil, okay? And other than mm-hmm. that, you tell me another guy who stayed out that long and came back and was a great success. I, I can't think of a lot of guys who stayed out that long and came back at all. Um, right. right. You know, people talk for a long time about Bill Cowher. That conversation has gone away uh, because it just seems at this point, Chris, he was the hottest candidate for every job that came open for a long time. And then after a while, um, it starts to seem like, well, it's just been too long. John did a really, really good job of keeping himself in the conversation at all times, at all times. And, and it made it seem as though at the time they brought him back for a hundred million dollars, that was, it was this remarkable coup because he had convinced everyone that there were teams out there killing themselves to hire him every single year. Now, I'm not saying there weren't, but I don't know for sure there were. I, I don't know the truth of it one way or the other. Um, I do know that they did a very good job of making it seem like he was the hottest candidate for every single job every single year, which if nothing else drove up his asking price to where the Raiders basically made themselves into the Las Vegas groups. And that's what they're going to be. And for better or worse, we'll get to see. Um, and, and I said it a moment ago, I, I don't think I would bet my, my mortgage that it will work. Um, but at least he, he, he's going to be able to build the team that he wants, and let's see what he can do. All right, let's go back to Prescott, Prescott for one second. Just remember something. Last uh, Sunday, in a game his team needed and the Eagles needed even more, he threw for 450 yards in that game, Michael. And you know what that is? <laughs> It's four times what Mitchell Trubisky <laughs> threw for in the, when his team beat the Rams on, on yeah. Sunday night. I believe that Prescott is once again back to being the kid he looked like when, when Des Bryant could still play and he could throw the ball down the field. And and w- what you said about Ezekiel Elliott is true. He's as, he's as good a player as there is in the National Football League. And I'm not talking about... His off the field issues, and they are part of the conversation about this young man. Okay, but he, on the field, he's as tough as anybody there is. Yeah, he's great. I agree. I mean, I, I echo what you just said. There are two totally different conversations to be had about Ezekiel Elliott. We're having the one about how good a player he is, and he's great. He's ridiculously good and ridiculously valuable. And while, you know, there are these next-gen stats that I don't fully understand, but I see them all the time, and they would suggest that despite the fact that um, Amari Cooper has uh, – it would seem – it would stand to reason that the, that, that, that the success of Ezekiel Elliott is tied directly to Amari Cooper. Now, there, uh, his, his, the acquisition of him is ability to take the top off the defense and the fact that defenses have to – um, regard him differently and regard them differently with Cooper on the field. There are these statistics that suggest that is not so, that he's not running into any fewer loaded boxes than he was before. I don't know. I, it doesn't, the eye test says that from the moment they got Amari Cooper, it freed them up to be the offense they really were designed to be in the first place. And from that point forward, he has reestablished himself. Zeke, I think he's going to wind up leading the league in rushing. He's going to wind up leading his team into the playoffs. And while MVP has become a quarterback-centric, quarterback-solely award, 
Um, I don't know that there is a player who is more important to his team's success than Ezekiel Elliott is to the Cowboys. We are talking uh, the NFL right now with with my pal, uh, Mike Greenberg. And, uh, Michael, I don't know what you think, okay? I don't see your show every morning. This has been the most interesting regular season in the National Football League that, that, that I can remember. I, I mean, so many – Mahomes has happened. The L.A. Chargers are happening. The Houston Texans quietly, as quietly as you can in this sport, won nine in a row. The kid that Mike and, and, and if 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 you hadn't um, canceled uh, the sports reporters on television and you're not <laughs> listening to the um, our podcast, Bob and Mitch know this. I've been talking about since I thought Lamar Jackson was the steal of the NFL draft. I was going to always die on that hill, Michael. I thought he was the steal of the draft for the Ravens. You see what he's done. You see the drama in New England. You see the Cowboys rising up. You see Khalil Mack playing like Lawrence Taylor for the Bears. Um, the Vikings are in a free fall. And that's why, I again, if the Packers ever win this game on Sunday, which I do not think is impossible against the Bears, I think they're going to win out. And I, th- I think they might end up with the second wild card in the NFC. Then the Saints, okay? Then the Rams. Um, it's... T- so much. Well, I'm not even getting to all the stories. So much has happened in this season, Mike. And guess what? We do not have an undisputed heavyweight champ as we move up on January. Now, and listen to what you just did as you named all the different things that are happening. Listen to the individual names you have mentioned. The sport has stars. It has cultivated stars in a way that it used to. It used to sort of frown upon. Um, for the most part, you know, the NFL was about the jersey, it was about the uniform, it was about the, the helmet, it was about the shield. And somewhere along the line, and I think that the explosion of fantasy football, and they've been very smart about this, they figured out, we, we used to sell you violence. We can't sell you violence anymore because it is causing people to be damaged in ways that are no longer appropriate to, to pretend don't matter. So now we're going to sell you this other thing. We're going to sell you astronomical numbers because people are into them like crazy. Not only does it feed into the, the, the long-time standby of gambling in the NFL, which, oh, by the way, is becoming legal and so more and more people are doing it, but it also feeds into this new magnificent thing, which is fantasy football, which everyone is interested in, which people who otherwise don't even care, who don't even have a team they root for, are, are excited about. They are doing a little bit of what the NBA has done so successfully. You know, the NBA does not have fans of teams anymore. For the most part, they don't have fans of teams. They have fans of players. And we are getting a little bit of that in football, which is something they, they probably would have scoffed at at one time. They would have looked down upon. But the reality is that's the society that we have today. I've got younger kids than you do, and I'm telling you, my kids are excited by Steph Curry, and they're excited by LeBron James, and they'll root for whatever team those guys wind up on. Yep. And now they're excited about these individuals that you're talking about. The stars have, for the most part, been healthy, which helps a lot. And they've been putting up unbelievable numbers. And I am along for the ride. And I am sitting there like everybody else. I'm playing my, my daily fantasy every week, which I really enjoy. And streaming when Arizona's defense scores a touchdown, which who the hell would have cared about that 15 years ago? And, and they have figured a few things out for themselves. So, yes, it has been, by and large, an extremely entertaining football season. And, uh, and I think it, it will continue to be. It feels as though... Practically every week we've had a game of the century. And that's something that college has given us a lot lately. But this year we had the Chiefs and the Rams. That felt that way. And then we had the Cowboys and the Saints. That felt that way. We have the Chargers and Chiefs coming here. That feels that way. The Steelers and Patriots. 
There's at least one game every week that feels like you absolutely have to watch it because everything hangs in the balance. And, and, and that's a pretty good thing, too. So, yes, I, that was a very long-winded way of my saying I completely agree. It has been a very good football season. Michael, what if somebody had told you that in the middle of December you would be not only excited about the Chiefs and the Chargers this year, but if somebody told you that if the Chargers won that game because they've got a quarterback who's been playing every bit as good as Mahomes has lately and probably better lately, not across the whole season, the Chargers win that game. They're tied for first place, Michael. Yes, they would They would be on track for the one seed in the AFC, in fact. And could you imagine the run to the Super Bowl going through that stadium in Los Angeles? But but I, I will say this. Marcus Spears, who's really good and has been on my show once a week during this football season, and he's, he's a really You know who's great, by the way? You know who's guy. great, yeah. Michael? Michael, yeah. Ryan yeah. Clark is great. Oh, i got to get him on this podcast. On. He's terrific. He's very good. And Marcus is similar. There's another LSU guy. Uh, these guys have played for Saban at LSU are fascinating. Guys who played for Saban, Lewis Riddick played for Saban. No, those guys, they, they, they have a, a really interesting way of looking at the sport. And I don't think that's a coincidence. But anyway, Marcus Spears made a very good point. He, he said he feels a little bad for Philip Rivers, and here's why. That Rivers, throughout his prime, played in a conference with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, who were just a little bit better, and probably they, they were to him what Michael Jordan was to Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing all these years. And now, just as they're sort of phasing their way out, here comes this kid, Patrick Mahomes, in his conference, in his division, <laughs> right. who is about to sort of leapfrog him and, and keep running and never look back. And as a team that's, that's probably better than his is, a coach that is uh, you know as good as any when it comes to at least certain parts of the game, um, and that Rivers may wind up the perennial bridesmaid of the AFC behind these historically great quarterbacks. Brady was probably the greatest ever. Manning, who's on the very short list of the greatest ever. And Mahomes, who obviously, it's much too soon to say what he will eventually be. But to this point, he's as good as anyone we've ever seen at this stage of their careers. Um, and that the Rivers might just be snake bit in that regard. And tonight will go a long way towards deciding if you will get a little window in between to try and sneak in a championship before it becomes Mahomes' conference for good. We're talking with Mike Greenberg on the Mike Lubica podcast. More with Mr. Greenberg in a minute, but first a word from Geico. There's a quick way you could save money. Just switch to Geico. All it takes is 15 minutes to find out if you could save 15% or more on car insurance. And Geico offers coverage for more than just car insurance. Got a motorcycle? Geico's got you covered. Got an RV? Covered. Got a boat? Covered. How about a homeowner's or renter's insurance? You bet Geico's got you covered. Go to Geico.com today and see how much you could save. That's Geico.com. Talking to Mike Greenberg on the Mike Lupica podcast. I mean, again, there's so many other things. There's so many other storylines. Baker Mayfield has become a huge story in this football season. But right now, right now, with a handful of games left in the regular season, who do you think is the best team, and who do you, if you had to bet your own money right now, the two teams in Atlanta on the first Sunday in February would be? I would unquestionably have said New England with 17 seconds left in their game Sunday <laughs> against Miami. <laughs> yeah. and, and here's the reason why I think that was such a big deal. Not because I think it, be, it, it, it demonstrates any weakness in them. I think they will be fine. They will bounce back from that. Belichick is still the best coach in the sport. 
all and, and candidly, if you watch that game, Brady played great. With, with, with Gronk looking as good as he has looked all year long, with the exception of when he was out there making a tackle, trying to make a tackle, which he should never have been in that position. However, what cannot be overstated is the significance of that loss towards their chances of getting home field. We've all seen the numbers. Brady at home in the playoffs is practically unbeatable on the road, not, not even close. He's under 500 on the road in his postseason history, and I forget what the number is, something like 21-3 and three or something at home, in the 19-3, and three, I think it is, at home in the playoffs. I don't have it in front of me. But that loss, I think, will keep them from getting the one seed in the AFC. And so that changes my perspective a little. I, if, if the road to the Super Bowl winds up going through Foxborough, if the Chargers beat the Chiefs and then, and then somehow everyone winds up with four losses, uh, and, and the Patriots are the one seed, then I will, I would put my house on them. If not, if not, then, yeah, I, 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 do, I cannot, I cannot pick Kansas City. I just can't do it. If not, you know what the hell with it? I'll just stay with them either way. I will stay with New England no matter what. I'll feel a lot better about it if they wind up at home. And then in the NFC, I will take Dallas. I, I am on your side on that. I will take Dallas. Um, I, I, I think that I would take them against the Rams for sure. Then going into New Orleans, uh, you know, I know they just shut them down at home. The Saints are very good in their own building. Uh, that would be a scary game for sure. But I would, I would, I would, if I had to bet my money, I would bet it on Dallas. And, and then I might throw a few bucks on the outside on New Orleans, even though the odds wouldn't, wouldn't favor it that way. But, but I would take the Cowboys. I would bet on it right now. I would bet Patriots, Cowboys, which, oh, by the way, would be the highest rated Super Bowl in the history of anything. Uh, there's no one um, that I like discussing sports about more with my pal Mike Greenberg. All right, let before we get to the NBA because I the, 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 again this has been before Christmas Day, which I think we are in agreement. The season in my mind never starts until Christmas Day. Okay, and and mm-hmm. and I'm lying around with my boys and we're watching as much basketball as Taylor Lupica will let us watch. Okay, um, and and if somebody had told you. I'm already starting the NBA conversation. I want to do baseball briefly. That on this date in the season, okay, that the Lakers and the Warriors would basically have the same record, Michael. One's 19 and 10, the other is 17 and 10. And the Lakers are way, I, I've always said, and you know I've said this, LeBron could go to the Y and pick up four guys and make the playoffs in the NBA. I, 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 but I thought it might be more challenging this year. And once again, but we'll go back to baseball later. Michael, once again, we are seeing what a force of nature number 23 is. He's he's the best. I mean, he's he is by he is by far the best player in the world. And I, you know, you and I have had a million conversations, the the the, the ever popular LeBron Jordan conversation. And what what we never really got to see is if Jordan in his prime could have lifted a bad team, you know, as far because he didn't have bad teams. You can't hold against him the fact that he didn't have bad teams. They sort of stayed together. LeBron has jumped around a little. It's a different era. But yes, and if that team does get Trevor Ariza, which I'm hearing a lot of people suggest is a possibility, then they're going to be really formidable. I mean, Stephen A. Smith said before the season began, he believes the Lakers will be the last team standing in the West with Golden State. They will go as far as they will go as far in the playoffs as it takes them to get to Golden State, and if that means the conference finals, then they'll get that far. And I will admit to having laughed at that a little bit, um, and and I'm not laughing now, and especially if he does get Ariza. Um, I think that they look really good, and I think the West all of a sudden looks very mediocre. It's a, it's an individual league. I mean, Anthony Davis this week 
is the best player in the world, and, and next week it'll be someone else, and a week ago, um, you know, it was it was whoever it was. But LeBron James is consistently the best player, and when they get when they get that one other player that he needs to run with him, I do think that they become the team to beat in the West. I, I am, however, of the opinion, maybe because I just won't I will not allow myself to believe otherwise that when everything starts to really matter, the Warriors will once again be head and shoulders better than everybody else, including whatever LeBron winds up with in L.A. this year, and they will win another championship and do so in relatively easy fashion. Now, last night kind of shook me on that. I was just going to say, Mike, I watched some of that game, Michael, and I know it's early and blah, 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 blah. If there has been a statement game in the league this year, the Raptors provided that statement on the road – blowing the doors off the Warriors last night. Without Kawhi Leonard on the second night of a back-to-back. So that, that you're 100% right. And I, I put that question to Jalen this morning because Jalen has continued to ride the Boston will wind up being the best team in the East when it's all said and done bandwagon. And I said to him, did last night change your perspective on that? And he said no, despite how incredibly impressive a win it was. It can, nothing can be taken away from them right now. The Raptors have been the best team in the sport to this point in the season, and as ridiculous as it sounds, their numbers have been better without Kawhi Leonard on the floor than with Kawhi Leonard on the floor. Um, the Greek freak is phenomenal. I mean, all of a sudden, the East is very interesting. Like, we thought the East was going to be the junior varsity this year, and suddenly the East is pretty interesting. And then the NBA is set up for another magnificent offseason because I think Kevin Durant is going to leave Golden State, and I think that is going to reshuffle the deck on everything. Everyone around the city where you and I both live, um, you know, is very hopeful slash, you know, ready to, 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 to lose their minds if it doesn't happen that, that KD will come to New York. But my gut feeling right now is that he is, they are all going to be disappointed. And, and, and I think there's a lot of smoke to this fire that when it's all said and done, KD and Kawhi are going to go play together for the Clippers. And then you want to talk about that being the epicenter of the basketball world. If every single night on alternating nights, the Staples Center in Los Angeles has either Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant and the Clippers, or LeBron James and insert superstar name here and the Lakers, then then you're talking about something really special going on in L.A., especially if it's Anthony Davis, because then you're talking about a team that I think would be able to beat anybody. Here's the team. Here's the starting five that blew the doors off of the three out of the last four years champs of the NBA. Ibaka, Siakam, Lowry, Van Vliet, and Danny Green. That's the starting five. They didn't have another guy in double figures last night, Michael, and they kicked the Warriors' ass. They did. Pascal Siakam could walk in the door of any sports bar in America and no one would know who he is. And he is a great, he's a genuinely great player. And I'll tell you what else. I mean, Masai Ujiri, oh. and I know that a lot of that they were mad at him, but that guy is the executive of the millennium. I mean, he fires, he fires Dwayne Casey, and you think it's because they've just gone about as far as they can go. And instead, it turns out he's got some guy named Nick Nurse, which is quite a name for a great coach to have, who really knows what he's doing. Because as you just pointed out, that's not a murderer's role. Those guys are going up against Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and, uh, and Kevin Durant, and they beat him by 20 in their own building after having blown out the Clippers the night before, you know, however many 400 miles away or whatever that is. So that guy can coach, too. So, yes, the, the Raptors are – they are something else. And I'd love to see Kawhi stay there. I, I am a firm believer that the league is a lot better if the stars are all spread out. But literally every metric of fan interest 
um, flies in the face of that, so I can't argue it anymore. Um, the bad news for those of us, again, in the New York area and, and, and those who still are paying attention and care is that, Mike, I think the Knicks are going to wind up holding the bag on this one again. I don't think they're getting anybody of consequence. Nope. They'll wind up overpaying for someone who isn't of that level as they once did for Amari Stoudemire, and I don't think it gets any better for the Knicks any time in the foreseeable future. Do you? No, no. And, Mike, you know this. I mean, my my running line for years and years, when we still hear the garden referred to as the Mecca, I always say, Mecca of what? Mecca of yeah. what? They haven't won a championship since 1973. They haven't been in the finals since 1991. And, oh, wait for it, in this century... <laughs> If you start the century, you know, it's always a question. You start it with 2000, 2001. They've won one playoff series in the last yeah. 18 years. Michael, you, for people out of town, it's biblical what has happened to this team. It's biblical. And and how do you think Knicks fans felt when LeBron said it was either the Lakers or the Knicks and every Knicks fan alive knew that Phil Jackson had pissed him off so much that he was never going to go there. Yeah, I mean, it's just been terrible. I mean, I have a son who just turned 16 the other day and is the biggest basketball fan you will ever meet in your life. And he doesn't know a world in which the Knicks are relevant. He's never, he's never lived in one. Um, and so he doesn't have any attachment to them whatsoever. This is a kid who's grown up his entire life in Fairfield County, Connecticut, the suburbs of New York City. We can go to Nick Games for the money. His dad is a sportscaster. We can go to Nick Games anytime that he wants to, and he never wants to. Right. Um, he is he he is a fan like so like all of his friends of the NBA's stars, and just follows them wherever they go. He's a fan of Steph Curry. He's a fan of LeBron James. He is interested in not necessarily a, he, there are some of them that he dislikes. But they build that, too. But he pays attention to Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and all of these other stars. And the Knicks don't have any of them, and they don't figure to have any of them anytime in the foreseeable future. And that is, uh, you know, as one who grew up with the franchise at a time when they really were relevant, they weren't they, they didn't win championships, but they were very relevant. It has been it has been very frustrating to watch. Hey, Mike, have you, I, I don't know the answer to this, but have you had. I'm the president of this guy's fan club. Um, have you had Masai Ujiri on your show? Maybe, maybe at the, uh, not on this show. On, on Mike and Mike, sure he is it, he is yeah. one of the smartest, most elegant figures in 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 this sport. He's got such an interesting story. He's now basically done it in two places. He it was so ballsy of him to get rid of Dwayne Casey, who's a great coach and a great guy and doing a very good job with the. No, he's a great story, Masai Ujiri. Yeah, and, and he's the executive of the year to this point. For sure. And can I hijack this conversation for just one brief second? Because yeah. I cannot believe, I cannot believe that we have been on the phone this long. We've been yeah. talking this much time yeah. and have not yet mentioned the best sporting event of the year. The number one sports event of the entire year. The match, Mike. The oh, match. God. Oh, between God. Phil Mickelson oh, and Tiger Woods, which I know you watched every second of and enjoyed any of us who oh, follow your God. social media, how much you loved it, how enthralled you were, how excited you were. Oh, to see my God. Great champions going head to head. 
making all these wagers, all the, the insight we oh. got into the, the fascinating dialogue between the two of them. Come on, Mike, how can we have, how can we have overlooked this? Greeny, Greeny. <laughs> First of all, let me, let me give you, let me give you an, uh, an audio impersonation that'll bring you right back to the match. Okay. You ready? Uh-huh. Yeah. <gasps> 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 uh, tell me you, <laughs> It's making me cough. Tell me you didn't think that Mickelson sounded like a man carrying a refrigerator up a flight of stairs. Tell me, tell me. And, and oh, by the way, oh my God, only Tiger Woods fanboys like you. My sons made me buy that. Okay, and of mm-hmm, course we would have yeah. gotten our we could have gotten our money back, but they made me buy it. Okay, and Michael, yeah. I don't know if you saw this. I tweeted this after it was over. They did everything at the end. They did everything at the end except make them putt through the windmill to decide who won. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. And I laugh. You know, for those who don't know, otherwise, Mike loves to make fun of me because of my love for Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I will say this, that I will agree with almost everything you're saying, which is that I did not, I did not think the format really suited them well. I did not think that the way it was all – I understand a lot of the decisions they made and the way they presented it, but I did not think it all worked. And I think the fact that the sun started going down and they had to sort of figure out a quick way to get through it worked, wound up working against them terribly. Having said all of that, having acknowledged all of that, I loved it. I honestly loved it. You didn't love it. You can't I possibly did. have I was, loved it. I was, I, if, if the definition of loved it is I, was in, I never stopped being entertained and I never for one second considered turning it off, <laughs> then I loved it. I was entertained by every minute of it. <laughs> And I never for one second consider turning it off. That is 100% the truth. I have two dear friends, two extremely smart, creative people that I love who I just can't have a rational conversation with about Tiger Woods. One is the man I'm speaking to right now, my friend Michael Greenberg, and the other one is Brian Koppelman of Billions, okay? He, you and he are in lockstep on this guy, and you cannot... You cannot be reasoned with about Tiger. I know that you think he's going to win the Grand Slam this year. I know that you are ignoring how old he is, okay? But one Mm -hmm. victory last year sent you both on a flight of heavenly transport. I'm not saying he's going to win the Grand Slam next year. I'm only saying that I don't know he won't. That's all I'm saying. Until I know he won't, then I'll hold out hope that he can. All kidding aside, I do believe... Tiger will compete, will be there in the end, as he was this year in multiple majors. Let me go back over them in my mind. At the British Open, he was right there. He had that one terrible hole. You and I talked about it on this podcast after it happened. Yeah. One bad decision he made on that one shot at the British Open. Otherwise, he was going to be within a shot or two all the way to the end. He obviously set the world on fire with the way he played at the PGA. And as I said at the time, I can't remember now if you and I talked about it or not, but Tiger Woods this year made the Valspar. I didn't even know what Valspar was. <laughs> I actually had to Google Val. Turns out it's a paint. I didn't even know what it was. He made the Valspar <laughs> feel like the Ryder Cup. He yeah. made the PGA, which is annually the fourth most important major, he made that feel like the Super Bowl. When Tiger Woods was playing, the, 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 the way I equated it on the air on my show, Mike, was I said, Tiger Woods playing has become, it's no longer like a sporting event. It has become like Beyonce at Coachella, 
Like, all of a sudden, people start texting you, are you watching this? Do you see this? Are you aware of what's going on right now? Like, that was Tiger, especially that last day at the PJ. And I know we didn't win, but you tell me that there was a more compelling day of golf this year. And you, you and I, we have a lot of things in common, and one of them is our mutual love, reverence for the game of golf. It is my yes. favorite sport, and yep. I feel down deep in your soul it's yours as well. You tell me there was a more exciting day for the sport this year than the last day of the PGA, even though Tiger didn't wind up winning. No, it was great. I watched it. I watched it with Zach Lupica, who is my youngest son. But I will confess something to you. And you know that I'm a little cynical about Tiger's game standing up in the heat anymore because he has 40-year-old nerves, even if he has his old swing back. Okay? If, Mm -hmm. If you ask Zach Lupica when he stepped to the 17th tee, I quietly turned to him and I said, four on the right. Okay, now it went left, okay? But Zach said, yeah. no. And I said, Zach, he's due for a really crooked drive. Now, I didn't know he was going to hit it where he hit it, but I'm just telling you that I, I'm still skeptical that he is going to be what you want him to be next year. Because here's the thing. If it's not what you want him to be next year, then he's not going to be what you want him to be ever again. I believe that's a fact, okay? I am shocked he played as well as he did. Michael, I am. I can remember Taylor and I took our dogs out for a walk after he won the Tour Championship, okay, in a a new neighborhood where we now live, okay? And I, I think one of our new neighbors, a young guy, um, didn't, I think he was surprised. At, he didn't know we had moved into the neighborhood. So there we are. He comes, char- he comes charging out of his house when he sees us. It's like he had an out-of-body experience. He says, can you believe Tiger? And I, I, know, the, I know the passion that Tiger inspires in sports um, fans like yourself. Because, see, I had been loving golf much longer than you had when he came along, okay? Mm-hmm. And so I'm a Nicholas guy. I, I, I've never apologized for being a Nicholas guy. I, I think he's got to, Jack's got to take a step back and wondering who he's playing golf with these days in Palm Beach, but we don't need to make, <laughs> we don't need to make this a political conversation, okay? Um, uh, but, but I get it. No, I do get it. And it's, but I, your, your blind love does, Yes, <laughs> we go. And for people who don't know, Greeny and I are in constant contact when when Tiger is doing anything in the go. We are either texting or tweeting at each other. And I, Mike, I actually look forward to it. Oh, me too. And I will say this, that he doesn't have to win all these majors next year or any event that he's in to make it exciting. I'd love to see him win. What I'd love to see is for him to win the Masters next year and, and, and you know, and, and, and for the drama that would then ensue from all of that, then he's really fully back and it can't really be disputed. And then we see where it goes from there. But the mere fact that he, was, that he is in it, it just makes it more exciting. It's a terrible analogy. But the only analogy I can make to it is that when Tiger Woods is in contention, then everything he does is more exciting than if anyone else were to do it in the same way that when a big star executes a dunk in the NBA slam dunk contest, it is more exciting than when someone you don't know executes the same exact dunk. You can watch the slam dunk contest with a bunch of guys who are sitting on NBA benches but just happen to have the remarkable ability to dunk, and they could pull off the greatest dunks you've ever seen. 
But then all of a sudden, if Russell Westbrook, as an example, comes out there and executes one that's not quite as good, it is just more exciting because it's Russell Westbrook. And, and with Tiger, it is just that. There was something about him making a charge on, on, on the moving day at a major or wherever it might be that is just more exciting than anyone else. And so, yes, it would be great to see him seal the deal and win one of these majors. I would love it. I would love it for him, and I'd love it for the sport. But I don't – he doesn't have to in order to make it exciting. His mere presence in, as, as a real factor, one that, one that can no longer be denied or that can't be denied, um, is exciting enough. Because it's something I think none of us thought we were going to get back. I mean, I, I absolutely. Uh, yeah, we've been when you and I were talking this time last year. Um, if you had said to me, "Will Tiger Woods ever be anywhere near as relevant as he is now?" I don't even know what I would what I would have said. Will he make a cut this year? Something like that. I don't think I would have bet that he would. I I would have bet that he was going to sort of limp into retirement, and I mean that literally. I thought he, his body had just broken down to where he couldn't do it anymore. So the fact that he is able to even just be giving us this. At this point, as fans of the game, I am more than satisfied. All right, I'll, I'll leave you with this one thought on Tiger. I want to ask you a couple of baseball questions, and then, again, you're so nice to do this after already done doing three hours of television this morning. Between April 11th in Augusta, Georgia, and yeah. June 16th, when the first three majors will have been played of, on this year on American soil, okay, because they've moved mm-hmm. the PGA to the month of May, in those two months, three majors will be played on golf courses where Tiger has all won majors. Augusta, Bethpage Black, Pebble Beach. And then the most intriguing major of the year will be the British Open because they're going to Royal Port Rush in Northern Ireland. So it's it, it's going to be an amazing year in, in major golf championships. So you think he's going to win a major? I hope he's going to win a major. And, and I, 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 I don't see any reason to, think, to say no. I, he played well enough to win. At, at, two at of two them. Of no, the, he played well enough to win two majors. Absolutely. This yeah, year. he played well enough to win in two. I'm trying to draw. Why can't I? I'm sort of drawing a blank on where he wound up at the U.S. Open. He, he, he made it interesting, but he wasn't. No, no, really he played like crap. And, Remember, he triple bogeyed number one. No, no, he played like crap at the Open. Oh, well, so what am I remembering? Oh, well, whatever. It doesn't make any difference. British Open and the PGA. He played great at so both he of was them. There, right. He was with Molinari. And, yeah. So, so he played well enough to win those. He won the Tour Championship. I, I don't see any reason to think he can't win one of these majors. Would I bet my life that he's going to? No. But but I think there's a certainly a real chance that he will. And so if, if he is in contention, if, if he is in one of the final groups on Sunday, the Masters, it will be phenomenal. And it will be the best start. You know, the golf season starts so early now. And there are actually a lot of really good tournaments before. So we'll get a glimpse of it. I mean, if you remember in February, I remember last year, this is, I mean, a, a sort of a roundabout way of telling a story, but I got pneumonia last year in February, and so I wound up lying in bed for like two, two or three weeks. I could barely move. I watched more golf than I've ever watched in my entire life two months before the majors started last year. And if you'll recall, Phil Mickelson was playing as well as anybody in the world then. Mickelson and Justin Thomas basically owned the golf world right. in the pre-major season. So we'll get to see a little bit of that from Tiger Reasonably soon. That's that's one thing to cling to as I sit here wistfully watching small snowflakes fall outside my window in Connecticut, um, that the beginning of the 2019 golf season is right around the corner. All right. Last question for my pal, um, Mike Greenberg. Okay, two two baseball questions, and then we'll move on. And then we've just got to make an appointment that we do this every couple of months because it's too much fun not to. You ready? 
Bryce That's Harper next season will be a member of the... I can't believe I'm going to say this, but everyone is telling me the Chicago White Sox, which strikes me as stunning, but it, it, I, the sense I'm getting from there is that Jerry Reinsdorf, who is a lifelong lover of the game of baseball and many Bulls fans believe to the detriment of the Bulls because he cares so much more about the baseball team than he does the basketball team, here you know, in the, in the, in the latter stages of his life, desperately wants to build one more championship team and that they have an open checkbook and that they are going to wind up signing either Harper or Machado. That they will get one of the two, but they, they will they will ultimately go wherever it has to be taken to uh, financially to get one of those two guys. So I believe they will get one of the two. I, I know you were going to ask me about Machado afterwards, so I'll, I'll answer it that way. I, I, I believe the White Sox will get one of the two of them. Um, the other one, I mean, would you bet against the Yankees getting Machado if that's what they really Michael, they want to do? Michael, I wrote. I wrote a column a couple of weeks ago because I just, for the sheer love of baseball, I write uh, a few columns a week for MLB.com, and I wrote the following column. I will believe that Bryce Harper is not going to be a New York Yankee when his name is on a contract given to him by another team. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I saw that the Brian Cashman's comments that, you know, you could read Brian Cashman's comments of the other day, I guess in a variety of ways, when he said, we have we have never for one minute said anything about being interested in the outfield. I don't even know why you're asking me about this anymore. That, that, you know, I interpreted that to mean he legitimately was saying we're not in that game. But I guess it could be it could be taken the other way, which is to say here's a guy trying to throw everyone as far off the scent as possible. Um, I, I've sort of thought that Machado would be the guy they would that they would sign. Um, but uh, yeah, I, look. I, you've never, at no point would, should you ever be surprised if the Yankees wind up signing a major star. And, and then with the stories coming out of L.A. that, that they were looking to move, um, uh, uh, why is his name jumping out of my head, the Cuban star? Um, Puig. That they were looking to trade him. Yasiel Puig, thank you, um, to open up space in their outfield. Uh, I think all of the, the, the speculation that I heard was that the Dodgers were, were doing that in order to try and open up space for Bryce Harper. So I, I think the, the, they will, the usual suspects will wind up in the usual places, uh, with the White Sox being the wild card in all of this. I, I, many people whose opinions I value, including Buster Olney, have been saying the White Sox are going to be major players in this, and my gut feeling is that Jerry Reinsdorf wants to try and load up and win one more championship, and, and that is his best chance of trying to do it. How's your boys' basketball team doing? They're doing well. Uh, you know, we're hanging in there, and, and, and it's, this is the part of it that, you know, that is fun. And he continues to love your books. Congratulations, by the way. I've never seen a person on two book tours simultaneously before. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, mean, I'm, I, I see your tweet. I, I'm, in, I'm in Dallas, at, at, uh, wherever you are, somewhere in Texas, at one book signing, and then all of a sudden the next day you're in a book signing in another city for another book. So, I mean, you know you're prolific. When you have book signings on consecutive days for different books. No, so, no, uh, no. You're I, very was on, I was on a book tour for my new book for middle graders in the first week of November. And then I have been honored to 
to pick up a series written by my late friend Robert B. Parker, the Sonny Randall series. So I went back out a few weeks later. Hopefully I will never have to do that again because, Mike, sometimes I will be working on two at the same time. And Taylor Lupica will say, honey, when the little boys and girls are trying to win the big game, just don't, you know, just make sure that one of the guys from the Sonny Randall books doesn't burst into the room, you know, with a with a baseball bat in his hands. Okay. And I've got yeah, so- very, very different genres, but congratulations to you on that. Obviously, it's well, wonderful. And listen, pal. Yeah, the family is doing great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. We have to do it more often. Again, it is it is not an easy thing to actually do the thing for which you get paid for three hours and then come on for an hour with me. So um, give my life to your bride and, and, and your kids, and you have a great holiday, my friend. Thanks. You too. Good to talk to you. I'll see you soon. Mike Greenberg at ESPN. Again, I've said for years, he's my favorite on-air personality there. He is smart and he is funny. And uh, if you give you give this show a chance because it's really good and he's got good people around him. Again, continue to download this podcast. Continue to subscribe. Our numbers continue to grow. We're going to have an announcement that I think fans of the podcast will like after the first of the year. And uh, we'll talk to you next week, everybody. The Mike Lupica Podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Networks in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica Podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica Podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. 